The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Friends. Welcome to the show. This is episode 203 of The Boys of Tech, New Zealand's longest running tech podcast. This is for the week commencing Monday, the 4th of March, 2013. My name is Edwin Herman, live here in the studio in Wellington. Joining me over Skype is a panelist we haven't had on the show for a, a wee while now, Ben Sonko. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thanks, Ed. Ben, I understand you've been camping and doing all sorts of things over the last few weeks. Yeah, it was a couple of weeks away from email and phone calls and internet and all of those sorts of things. Isn't that just the way camping should be? Yes, I think more people should switch off for a little while. But it does seem like more and more people, and and I've heard this term just the the other day actually, are are doing what's called glamping. Have you heard that term before? Glamping? No. Glamorous camping, you know, with the microwave and the internet and the stove and the kitchen sink and all that? Yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I guess if you've got kids, I can see the attraction of it, but the whole point is to get away from it. All. Mm, that's right. It's actually funny. In one place I stayed at, um, this couple pulled up and all these kids streamed out of the car and then they started unloading the trailer and they were unloading it for about two hours and then setting up for like another two hours. And I'm sitting there going, <laughs> how long are you staying at this campsite for? I think you find out they leave the next day, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, we also have a guest on the show this week and we'll find out whether he's been camping recently. Chris Cherry joins us. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hi, Edwin. How are you doing, mate? I'm very good, thanks. Yourself? I'm not bad, not bad. Chris, when was the last time you went camping? Oh, long time ago, actually. It must have been about 18 months ago now. Um, I've been I've been a busy boy, you know. Graduate study isn't easy. Yeah, I understand. You're a university uh, graduate, uh, doing a post-grad, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way beyond what I can cope with. Bachelor's level <laughs> is enough for me. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> now, the I reason... think it's way beyond what I can cope with as well, to be honest. <laughs> well, the reason we the reason we got you on the on the show, I was going to say on the phone. The reason, well, you I kind of are on the phone as well. The reason we got you on the show was because I understand that you had a smartphone, you yep. you left it somewhere, yeah, it was stolen, <laughs> and that you managed yeah. to track down who the alleged thief was. Is that pretty yep. much a a good synopsis of what happened? Yeah, I, th- I think it's important to say that it was after six months of the phone being missing that right. I managed to track down who it was. So there's quite a d- d- delay between. So can you walk us through? So, so what happened? Where were you when you, when you lost this phone or misplaced it? Okay, so um, I, I get into the office kind of quite early because you know I'm I'm just like that. Um, we all have our own uh, offices. The PhD students. This is at university, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm in the office about seven o'clock in the morning, and I need to go to the toilet. So I go down to the toilets on the first floor, and I'm in the cubicles because um, um, I don't have urinals in there. And I put my phone kind of on top of the uh, toilet roll holder. And I do my business, and then I turn around and wash my hands, and then walk out and leave my phone in the toilet. <laughs> That's very detailed. I like it. I was wondering <laughs> how much information you could have released there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So okay. So, anyway, so you walk away. Back, yeah, I walk away, um, and I get back to my office, and kind of you know about half an hour later, I realise that I haven't got my phone, and it's like oh god, 
all right, um, I better go down and get it. So I run downstairs and I go into the toilet and look in the cubicle and it's gone. I do need to say the reason that I remember it in such detail is because I've done this before. You know, I did. I've, I've actually left it in there twice before. Um, third time I'm lucky. Third time oh, I actually no. got it. Actually, was actually taken. So I was expecting it to be there, and it was kind of a normal routine to walk down to the toilet, check my emails with my phone in my hand. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so as soon as I realised it was missing, there was only one other person in the building. Um, I'd heard security go through the building and unlock the building. So is this this uh, is after hours? Is it? Uh, this is very early in the morning. Oh, this sorry, is very early. Like, That's right. You get an early. You're yeah. saying, yeah. I should mention that this is local, right? Because this show is recorded here in Wellington, and you're at yep. Victoria University of Wellington, right? Yeah, yeah. This was on uh, Fairley Terrace, so this was in the uh, Media Studies Building. Okay. Um. So uh, I went into the AV Tech's office, and he was there because he usually is in kind of that early, and asked him if he'd seen a phone in the toilet, and he said, "I haven't been in the toilet this morning, sorry." And then I went upstairs and I emailed my partner, and I said, "Ring my phone." And she said, "It's go straight to voicemail." And it's like, "Oh, okay." Uh, what happens when you lost your phone? And it's gone straight to voicemail. It's probably been turned off by someone, so it's probably been nicked. And kind of basically that was it. And kind of I ran campus care, and they said, "Well, if anyone finds it, we'll send them out to you, and and you know, and we'll see if they found it." And the rest of it, and I rang Vodafone, and I got the IMEI number blocked, and then I rang the, the insurance company to see if I was covered, which was fortunately, you know, I was covered for it. Oh, that's handy. Just uh, interrupting there for a second, you said you rang Campus Care. That's caretakers, are they at the university or security? Yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of at both. So, so they have like caretakers and actual security guards, uh, caretakers who kind of unlock all the buildings and kind of you know generally cart stuff around, and actual security guards who respond to emergencies and who do the security cards and things like that. Right. So they're kind of always around. So so you always see those guys around. And they deliver mail, you know, general things like that. So they have kind of full access to the entire university buildings. Right. And they said they hadn't seen, that the phone hadn't been handed in or anything. Yeah, they, they actually said that no one had been back at that point. But when the person who all the buildings comes back, we will send the guy out to you if he's found anything. Right. So about 20 minutes later, kind of the guy who had unlocked the building that morning came up the stairs at the front of the building and I spotted him and went out and met him in the corridor. And I'm thinking, well, he said that if he, you know, if they'd found anything, they'd send him out. So I assumed that he'd found something. Um, and he said to me, kind of, no, I haven't found anything. So I gave him my contact numbers, kind of my office and my, my partner's uh, mobile number. And then that was it. And I assumed that the phone was lost and kind of, you know, I went through the process of getting another one and right. claiming on the insurance. Right. As you do, unfortunately, you but do. that's, that's what, yeah. what you do, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so about six months later, um, I bought a new tablet and I'm kind of, you know, pushing apps to the tablet and the smartphone to make sure that I've got all the same apps on the smartphone because it's just so much easier to do that to the Google Play Store. This is an Android tablet and your phone was also Android, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. The phone, the phone is actually a rare phone. Uh, they don't sell it in New Zealand. It's a HTC Desire S. Oh, I don't know um, that one. Okay. No, I had to, I had to order it from Hong Kong. So uh, the tablet's an Asus Transformer, and I was just kind of pushing apps to it, and I accidentally clicked on the wrong tab in Google Play. So all of my phones that I've had, and all of the tablets have been on there, so we had kind of, you know, the HTC Desire, we had the Sony Xperia S, which was the replacement phone, we had a HTC One X, which was an, an older phone, um, and we had the tablet as well. And kind of, I accidentally clicked on the HTC Desire S, and I looked at the apps that were on the HTC Desire S, and I was like, hang about, these these aren't any apps that I'd, I'd installed. 
And the first thing that went through my head was kind of like, oh my God, kind of Google Play has gone really badly wrong. This is this is terrible. And then I looked at it and I realized that it was this old phone. And I was kind of, okay, so that means that at some point, whoever's had the phone must have turned it on and then downloaded oh, apps so through the, Google Play. So the phone was live? Yeah, well, it, it would have been. been live at some point at after some point. it had been oh, okay. taken. Yeah. yeah. So the next thing I did was, well, I was like, well, okay, well, can, can I uninstall one of these apps? So one of these apps, I went to, I think it was a basketball game, and I pressed the trash can next to the basketball icon and, and kind of I waited, and, and the phone disappeared from the list. And when I refreshed the page, the phone had disappeared from the list. So that meant that the phone was live, and that it managed to uninstall the app that was on there. So it was live, it was on, and it was connected to the internet. And I was kind of like, oh, so this phone must actually kind of, you know, be be live. And you know, I'm getting quite excited at this point. Although at that point, of course, you must be quite frustrated too, because it's there at your fingertips, but you have no idea where it is physically, right, at that point. Yeah, and I, I'd never had to do this before. You know, I wasn't, I, I wasn't big on phone security at the time. I never had to do this before. And so I was like, well, what can I do? Can I find out where it is? It's got a GPS signal, you know. So it was a fairly good GPS unit as well. I used to use it while I was out running. Um, and so, you know, it's it's fairly accurate. So I wonder what I can do. So I had a look around uh, the Play Store and, and I found an app called Plan B. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, I haven't they, actually. Well, basically what, what Plan B is, it, it's an app that is designed to be push installed to your Android phone. And when it gets push installed, installed it will send five gps signals and it will email you to your google play account it will email you to that address kind of all of the locations from the five gps signal so this is intended to be used exactly in this sort of situation right where you don't know where your phone is for whatever reason where is my phone you can use plan b right yep so you get home and you're like oh my god i've left my phone somewhere and you go and play and you push install uh, plan b to your phone and it gives you five gps signals and then you can go out and find out where it is so I got the five GPS signals and kind of to my utter surprise, I was actually expecting them to be kind of, you know, somewhere kind of way out, kind of, you know, over over in the hall or up in Paria or something. I was wasn't expecting them to be in the city at all for some reason. I don't know why. But we but they actually came back as being on the Calvin campus at Victoria University. Oh, on and the actual university campus. Interesting. On the actual university campus. Okay. As the phone moves around, what Plan B does is it won't send you any more locations if the phone is in the same location. But if the phone moves around, then it will send you more locations. So as it refines the signal, it will just send you a few few more locations. And they all turned around to be, you know, you know, around the university campus. And and the phone was moving around as well. So um Oh wow. This this sounds interesting. You you could then go on like a, a sort of a, a, a fox hunt, if you like, and trying to trying to find the, the person carrying it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the only problem was is that Plan B would only send you five locations, um, and after that, you had to send an SMS to the phone um, asking it to send a GPS location. So it it wouldn't really it wouldn't really work um, okay. unless you actually unless you could actually text it. And I didn't have the phone number, so we knew that kind of my phone number had been transferred to my new SIM card. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't have the phone number of the SIM card that was currently inserted to the phone. And it's kind of like, okay, well, what else can I do? Can I, can I, can I get any more information from the phone? Because you know, this is what researchers do. We, we want more information. So I had a look around Google Play, and I found an app called Android Lost, uh, made by a guy in one of the Scandinavian countries. I can't remember which one it is, but um, Android Lost is can be push installed to the phone. 
And once it's push installed to the phone and activated, it can give you a whole host of information and kind of, kind of a, a lot of information, even right down to kind of the battery level and whether or not the phone is plugged in and charging. Mm. So I push installed Android Lost and then I found out that it needed to be activated and you needed to be kind of, you know, with the phone to actually activate it which was a bit of a bummer. So um, I had a look around again, and I found that this guy had also created something for tablets called Android Lost Jumpstart. Um, and basically, if you don't have an, a phone connection on your smartphone device or your tablet, this Jumpstart can also be push installed to it. And then you can, when, when an event happens on the phone, so when a phone call is made or when an app is started, then Android Lost Jumpstart will automatically activate Android Lost. And then it will appear on the Android Lost website, and then you can control it as if you had actually activated the phone kind of physically yourself. Oh, now that's neat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it was designed for tablets, but it, it worked fantastically in this circumstance. I mean, kind of. So what I did was I, I installed Jumpstart, I push installed that to it, and all, these, all this is happening silently on the phone as well. So he had no idea that this was happening to his phone. There's no so indication. The- yeah, I was going to say, there's no notifications at all. No, there's no notifications at all. Um, it's a bit like Plan B. I mean, it's 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 stealth installed. He may have had a notification, but he's not the smartest guy in the world, so um, <laughs> <laughs> so he may not have realised what it was. Uh, but as far as I know from reading the Android Lost forums and from reading what um, Beast, the guy who wrote it, has said, he's, he said kind of you know that it is designed to install silently and all these actions that then take place silently because the ultimate aim of Android Lost is to monitor and find your phone and then kind of you know perform actions on the phone while while whoever has the phone has got it. This is sounding like this is great for you, but this is sounding scary as hell. Like if someone picks up your phone, yeah, can I hook it into same. someone's mm. account, and you don't really notice, and they lock, and they just you know lock the phone again and hand it back, and then you can basically completely own them. Yeah, uh, well, the problem is, is that all the information that Android Lost sends to you, it sends to your Google email address. So I'm even thinking the like the pushing of um, applications and like the whole everything that you've been doing the whole time yeah. just sounds like man if someone if someone can get your phone and hook it into a Google account maybe they don't have one they haven't done it and they can just quickly do that and you don't really notice then they've they've got your phone they own it. Uh, yeah, it entirely depends on what setup I've got on, on what setup you've got. I think because uh, the th- the thing I like about Google is that it stores all your contacts, and so if you're not logged into your Google account on your phone, then you won't be able to get your contacts, um, and it won't be able to sync your contacts, and kind of you won't be able to sync your email either. So the the that kind of uh, unified login that kind of Android has is really good in that respect because I. I I mean, this is only my personal feeling is that it's really difficult to fool you into thinking that, you know, your account is logged in when you can't access your email or you're not getting your emails for some reason. Or what oh, about I if, see, you, if, you, if you weren't checking email, like if you didn't have a Google account, you were just using it as a phone. Um, yeah. And so you weren't check, you didn't have your email, you didn't sync your contacts, and someone created an account on your phone and deliberately left it empty with no contacts or anything in it, would you notice? I'm not sure, you know. You know, all the people have said to me so far is that do you think someone could kind of, you know, hack into my Google account online and then install things to my phone? And the answer would be yeah, but they'd have to have your Google email address and they'd have to know your password and you would have to not monitor your Android account at all. Um, I think the big difference with the smartphone is is that you always play with apps. I mean, especially Google Play, which has kind of 
all of these free apps. I mean, kind of, kind of tens of thousands of free apps. And you kind of notice straight away because as soon as you're signed out of your Google account, then the link to your apps also disappears. Yeah, I'm sort of thinking like my dad's got an Android phone. He doesn't yep. he doesn't use apps. He doesn't check his email. He doesn't have a Google account. He doesn't do any of that sort of stuff. If someone picked up his phone and created an account, he would not know. And I imagine there's probably a lot of people in that sort of category. Like obviously everyone like us are going to be doing, you know, technical type things, but there's a bunch of people that, you know, they don't know anything about anything. Yeah, and that's kind of I think that's I think that's one of the one of the scariest parts about it. And uh, I'm not entirely sure how it works because my partner's like that. And the first thing that she said to me was, "Could someone do that to me?" Yeah, and I was going <laughs> like, "Yeah." But I think I think part of the problem is is that having physical access to the phone and then kind of um, logging someone else logging into your account and the rest of it is has to be kind of a very deliberate act in the first place. So I mean, for the casual user, unless someone is kind of really after you then it's not, I don't think it's a big problem for the casual user. I think if someone's really after you, if someone really wants to kind of, you know, social engineer you and get information from you and, you know, do this to you, then you can find a lot of ways to do it that don't require a smartphone anyway. Mm. So what information did you get then uh, using that method? What, what did you, what could you see? Oh, so much. It was it was absolutely fantastic. I mean, once it jumpstart, then you go onto uh, the Android Lost website, and basically you can, then you can send commands to the phone over the internet. Uh, first thing you do is go in and you ask for a status report, and so it sends you back all the information about the phone. So it tells you what kind of Android release you've got, um, the phone you've got. Most importantly for me, it told me the IMEI number, so I could confirm that it was actually my phone that I was that I was talking okay. to. Okay. Does it also confirm um, the telephone number as well? Uh, it can do. Um, this guy had a two-degree SIM inserted into the card, and two-degree SIMs don't show you the uh, phone number. So oh. where, where it says phone number, it, it says null. And there's another problem with two degrees that we can talk about in a second. It also gave me the email addresses that were currently sent into the phone. Uh, the first email address in the list was mine. So the first email address was my Google email address. And the other few email addresses actually had this guy's full name in them. Oh, that's um, a dead giveaway, isn't it? Yeah, and and so it also had another name in it, which turned out to be his son's email as well. So, I mean, he set up his kind of, you know, his kid must be about 18 months, two years old. He set up his son with an email account, and that was logged into the phone as well. So, so you, can have multiple, you can have multiple accounts logged into the phone, and each one of them can send applications from Google? Uh, no, only one can do it, because he had, uh, this was a Hotmail address in particular. Oh, yeah. um, and he was actually, what he'd actually done was he'd actually tried to sign into Google. Uh, I found screenshots on the phone kind of, um, later um, that showed that he'd actually tried to sign into Gmail with his Hotmail address. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> Not the smartest cookie in the jar. No, no, not really. But yeah, I, I got this information from the phone. Um, and it also told me whether or not it was plugged in and charging. And it also told me uh, what the battery level was. Uh, it told me the display type and kind of just, just about everything that you could need. It also gave me the SIM card details. So although it didn't give me his phone number, it gave me his network operator. And it gave me the um, SIM subscriber ID as well. So it gave me both subscriber IDs. So it gave me the SIM serial number and it gave me his actual subscriber ID. Right, so in uh, theory, two degrees, the network he uses could in theory confirm his name, right? They could match it up because they've got all, if you get, if, if they had that information, the information that you had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if but that would to, be a privacy thing. Though, yeah, I know, but, but in a criminal, if there was a criminal case. 
Yeah, if the police ask, so the police would go to the court and get a warrant and then kind of would present the warrant to two degrees and two degrees would then give up the information yeah. or two degrees could give it up voluntarily in the course of a criminal investigation without a warrant uh, i'm not not entirely sure how that works but yeah i mean basically if you've got subscriber id then boom Bob's your uncle. You, you've got you've got the guy's name you can confirm his name see the thing was um i'd had it blocked on vodafone uh on the blacklist so it was on the IMEA blacklist on vodafone and vodafone and telecom sure and a blacklist. So if you get your IMEI number blocked because your handset's been stolen, then it won't work on Vodafone or Telecom. Oh, I didn't know that. that. That's really good. But two degrees don't operate the blacklist. So two degrees don't share this information. Oh. So if your phone's on two degrees and you get your phone stolen and you report the IMEI number as blocked to two degrees, then it won't work on two degrees, but it will carry on working on Telecom or Vodafone. Same with the other way around. So if your IMEI number is blocked on Vodafone or Telecom, then it will work on two degrees. Right, so, so you can just separate separate. two degrees mm. Yeah. So that's how he was able to use it. Now, you didn't, did that. you know this at the time? Because if you did, you could have then gone to two degrees and reported that, that same number. Well, you know you what probably have to be a two degrees customer to do it, I imagine. Well, you know what I've done, and, and kind of they, they actually made me feel really stupid when I found out. Um, I, I actually rang two degrees, and I, and I spoke to them, and, and I said, my phone's been stolen. I know you that you don't share a blacklist with... Vodafone and Telecom, um, my phone's been stolen, here's the police number and here's the AMR number, can you block it on your network? And they said fine, and they made me read out the, uh, they made me read out the police crime number and they made me read out the IMEI number and then they did nothing with it. So uh, I'm not really? sure they, whether, they, they did yeah. nothing? They did nothing. I mean, so I'm not sure whether the person I spoke to was just sat on, was sat on the end of the phone listening to me read out numbers just going, yeah, 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 I'm not actually writing anything down. <laughs> But I mean, oh, no. when I found out that it was being used on two degrees, yeah, I felt I felt kind of fairly stupid that two degrees had, you know, done that to me. Well, oh, sorry, the so, call so, center operator done that. So you did log it with two degrees when it got stolen at the time that it was lost. Yeah, because I mean, I knew about this blacklist thing, so I mean, kind of, I, I wanted to make sure that whoever it was could, kind of would would be completely screwed in New Zealand. Uh, but apparently, that's not what happened. So yeah, that's an important lesson. Absolutely, yeah. So I've got this information, and the other thing that Android Lost can do is take photos. So I can take photos using the front camera or the back camera. I like where this so is going. I, li- I like where this is going. <laughs> so I tried taking a photo with him, um, and, and what I actually got was kind of a very blurry photo. But I wasn't too bothered because I'd actually done the search on Google, and I'd found this guy's Facebook page, and I'd found his name. Because you, you um, had the name from the email accounts, right? When you looked at what yeah, email accounts right, were yeah. set up. So you assumed that that was him, his name. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. So I looked up this name, and I'm, I'm, and I'm going to say it because it's been in the paper, and, and it's been in court, so it's an open court, and kind of, you know, uh, most people I've spoken to is fine. And when, when the police found out that it was in the Don Post, they actually ran me, they, they actually spoke to me and said, kudos to you for actually going to, you know, the media with this, because, you know, it's, it's a good thing that the name's been made public. Right. So the, guy, the guy's name is Arana Kenny, um, and I searched for this name, Arana Kenny, and I found his Facebook page, I found his Twitter, I found his Google+, Plus, but I also found his name on the university website. Um, oh. Because, yeah, and it turns out that Arana Kenny is actually a caretaker. At the so, university? At the university, yeah. And so I had a look at his Facebook page, and as soon as I looked at the Facebook page, I actually recognised his face because he's quite young and he's he's quite young and he's quite distinctive looking guy. So you you've um, seen him in person before, right, at the university? Yeah, yeah. In fact, it was the guy that 
had unlocked the building that morning and the guy that Campus Kerr had sent out that morning when I said, you know, that I'd lost my phone. No way. Is, I, it, is that right? There was the same guy. There was the same guy, yeah. And, and uh, he kind I, of I'm, said I'm, I'm connecting dots together now. I'm joining the dots. <laughs> so he said that he hadn't found the phone. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it turned out that he had. And he turned it off. And well, and al- allegedly, this is the Alleg- allegedly. Let's say, let's say allegedly. Yeah, mm. I mean, he's actually written me a confession later on, but you know, we, we should probably say the word allegedly because he he hasn't pled yet, and kind of you know, right, the court right. isn't completed. I'll tell the full story because it's it's quite interesting. So I took it to the police and I spoke to the policeman, and the first policeman I spoke to was really interested, and I gave him a statement, kind of you know, quite a brief statement about what happened, and he said, okay, well, we'll. Looks like we'll go and have a word with uh, Mr. Kenny. And then nothing happened. And so kind of, you know, about a week later, um, I was keeping an eye on the phone and I was taking more photos with the phone. And I managed to take a, a couple of really clear photos of the guy, kind of, you know, with the front camera on the phone. Oh, right. And I managed to get kind of more information. So the other thing that Android Lost gives you is it gives you his text list and it gives you his call lists as well. So you can <laughs> pull down all this information from the phone. Cool. That is great. And it's the, it's kind of a, the ultimate app. Even people kind of, are, are, you know, I like technology, but I'm not I'm not anywhere kind of, you know, I've never made it a profession or anything like that. But kind of my friends who who have made it a profession have all gone. That's absolutely incredible, and kind of decided to install Android Lost instead of the ones that we're currently using because it's just, I mean, the the power that it gives you is kind of, you know, just so much greater than the other apps. So. After taking these photos, um, I, I printed them off and then I took them down to the police the next week. Um, and the policeman that week told me that the guy that um, was looking after the uh, case, or the guy that's taken the statement originally, he wasn't there. Um, and kind of, you know, he, he, they would pass on the message and you know just sit back and see what happens. Uh-huh. So I, I, I did exactly that. You know, he, trust in the police, you trust that they know what they were doing, you know, like the softly, softly approach in New Zealand, it's pretty good. (laughs) So I I carried on monitoring the phone and what what you can do with Android Lost is you can send it a signal and if the phone's not on, then it will send you the signal when the phone gets turned on. So you can send it, ask it for a status report if the phone's off and then it'll keep it for kind of a few days and when the phone gets turned on, it will send you a status report and then it will send you that status report to your email. So you'll be identified, so you'll, you'll be notified when the phone gets turned on, which is pretty good. So just before Christmas, I'm sat at home kind of, it's very late, it must be about half 11 at night and I get an email and, and it tells me that, you know, it's, it's a status that I asked for kind of a couple of days prior. Um, and I'm kind of like, oh, this is a bit strange. Has he drawn the short straw and he's on at night? Because at this point, he's only signed in using the university network. Oh. So I have a look and I look at the status and I look down the status and I'm kind of like, um, this isn't the university network. It's it's a network that's called Parai One. And I'm kind of like, this this sounds good. So it's got an IP address in there. So I'm trying to resolve the IP address and, and it's Slingshot. It's, it's a, like a home internet connection. So the thing that I haven't said until this point is that Android Lost got something really, really special. It it's seems got, like it's got a lot of special stuff, this, this software. <laughs> but, this, but this is really special. It's got something called a content browser. And what the content browser does is it allows you to browse the contents of the phone, as, you know, as it says on the 10, um, remotely. So Android Lost will then set up a connection to the website. It will cache a copy of whatever's on the phone, and then it will save you to it from the Android Lost server. Oh, nice. So effectively, Very you good. can then mm. download the contents of your of your SD yep. card. Yeah. 
And so it's designed apparently so that if your phone's been lost um, and you really want the photos that are on it, then you can retrieve the photos that have been on it and, and kind of even if the phone doesn't come back, then you've still got your photos. So no, you've still that got makes sense. Photos. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but I used it for kind of a different purpose. Uh, so when I found out he was signed in at home, the first thing I did was I asked for a GPS location because Android Lost can do, do that too. GPS location came back with an actual address up in Pararu. Um and that was kind of like, okay, well, he's at home. This is a residential area. That's fine. So I tried the content browser, and the content browser worked. And then suddenly I had access to his SD card. You, you should work in, in, in computer forensics or something. Or, or <laughs> <laughs> This is good. I'm loving this. This is great. This well, is back great. in Britain, I was training to be an auditor. But unfortunately, with my degree, I can't do that in New Zealand. But, you know, so this, I mean, this stuff interests me. Kind of this, this kind of, you know, this is, this is good. So I've got access to his SD card. And there's a lot of information on the SD card. To go through with a web browser is really difficult, and, and it's going to take a long time, and his internet connection is kind of slow. So what I do is I, I, I use Firefox, and I've got a, a download manager called uh, Down the Mall installed. So Down the Mall can uh, distinguish by file type, so it can kind of uh, it can crawl a particular website and then just download anything with a particular extension. So I set it to do that. So I set it to download kind of all the PDFs that were on there. So I set it to download all the uh, music files that were on there as well, uh, to download the uh, photographs that were on there too, and kind of went to bed. And the next morning I woke up and I had kind of a 350 megabyte treasure trove of all his holiday snaps, um, <laughs> the attachments that he downloaded, which had his full address on them as well. Um, <laughs> I'm loving this. <laughs> Everything and he probably mixed out his internet cap as well. I probably did as well, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So I've, I've got this kind of treasure trove of information, and that's absolutely fantastic. So uh, the following day, which was a Monday, I put it all on a USB stick, and I took it to the police. Um, turned out that the first guy that had taken my statement didn't even work at the Wellington Central Police Station. What? <laughs> yeah. well, who was he then? An imposter? Yeah, he's just some guy from, um, I think it was either the hut or kind of um, out in Miramar that had that had been working there that day. So what he'd done is he'd kind of taken a statement and taken all the stuff and, and then done nothing with it. <laughs> oh, man, that doesn't give you a lot of confidence, does it? No, it doesn't. But, the, I mean, what gave me confidence was the reaction of the police that, to, to the information that I brought them. Because um, they also printed a bunch of it out and then kind of handed it to him there and then. And they said that they'd never get any. They rarely get a stolen phone case solved. And when they do, they never get this much information. Yeah, so, I can imagine. I can it, imagine this. This must be. They must have looked at it and thought, "Man, we've we've got everything. This this is this is it. This is if in fact for the alleged thief, this is kind of the nail in the coffin, really." Yeah, it's it's like well, the police has just been like, "Oh, our work is done. What do we need to do?" Yeah, we exactly. Yeah, you've done the their work for them. Yeah. So what they did was they. I mean, because this was just before Christmas, so they took a softly, softly approach, and they made sure that whatever they were going to do they were going to do right. So there's no way that the judge would say kind of, no, you were too rough. and I don't think this was proportionate. So what they did was they waited kind of until middle of January this year and they called him and they basically said, the game's up, bring the phone down to the police station and we'll issue a summons for court. And he turned up at the police station and they retrieved the phone and he's now kind of, yeah, he's now on bail facing charges of theft. Interesting. Very interesting. So, and he's appeared in court for a callover, but there's no case being heard yet, right? 
I collected so much evidence from him. The guy had taken the, for holi- the, the phone on holiday to Fiji. Um, he had kind of been using it around the campus, which was a bit cheeky, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, because um, you, you could have seen him there in person with, with your phone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and the phone's very distinctive because, you know, they don't sell these. That's in, right. As in, you said, it's unique here, isn't it? Well, it's, yeah, it's yeah. rare here. Mm. Yeah. And kind of, you know, it's, I had to order it from Hong Kong. And the other problem was is that I, I did take it running and kind of I had dropped it a couple of times when it was out running. Uh, the Desire S is a big, it's not a big phone, but it's a heavy phone. It's got a solid metal body. Um, and it had two big chunks that had been taken out of the phone kind of from when I dropped it. Um, so it was really distinctive in that respect as well. I've actually forgotten to tell you something as well. Um, <laughs> the other thing that Android Lost can do is record audio. Oh, really? Yeah. So at this point as well, I'd also what, what managed can't to it get. Do? <laughs> I'd also managed to get um, audio of the guy talking. So you've got a record of, of his voice. So yeah, all, so all this, of course, adds up, doesn't it? It all paints a picture, right? Yeah. Yeah. And strengthens so that, the case. Yeah. The thing was. At one point, just before Christmas, he decided that he wasn't going to use the two-degree SIM card anymore. He was going to insert a Vodafone SIM card. Now, I I know from his text messages that this was actually a Vodafone SIM card that he bought in Fiji. So this was a Fijian Vodafone SIM card. And he brought it back to New Zealand, and and somehow he'd managed to bypass the IMI block on the Vodafone network. And he was using it in kind of – he was using it on the Vodafone network in New Zealand, which he shouldn't have been able to do. I rang Vodafone and I said, kind of, what's going on here? Because what happened was, when he inserted the new SIM card, Android Lost didn't recognize the SIM card as one that was in there when it was originally installed. So it decided to send me a text message in an email. Previously, on the two degree SIM card, he didn't have credit, but he had like a 5,000 text pack on the Vodafone SIM card. So every time he turned the phone on, I then got a text message to tell me that he turned the phone on and my phone had a new SIM card and that Android lost its started a polling service so that I could send any commands that I needed to and they would be received immediately. Nice. <laughs> nice. So, I mean, he, I rang Vodafone about the, um, about the SIM card thing and they hadn't got a clue what, what had happened. Um, and they still haven't told me what had happened. But basically, yeah, they said that the IMEI number of the phone was blocked on Vodafone New Zealand, but they have no idea how he has managed to bypass it by using his Vodafone SIM card. Oh. So is it a Fijian number or a New Zealand number? Or? No, it's a, it's a New Zealand number. So he may, he may have kind of transferred it over from Fiji. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Maybe he had credit on it from Fiji. Maybe they're interchangeable. I'm not entirely sure. I've been to Fiji, but when I, was, when I went to Fiji, I was on um, telecom. So they, I mean, I, I couldn't tell if, you know, the, the networks are interchangeable or whatever or what kind of, or what kind of numbers they have on there. Vodafone does have a pretty good reach around, like, you go over to Australia and it's it's almost, you know, a similar price to New Zealand, and Fiji would be a small market, so I could imagine them basically buying, you know, numbers from New Zealand, and then they maybe get stricken off our register, put onto their one, so, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, Android Lost is kind of kind of the main reason that I found it. Um, it's 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 a fantastic thing. It can actually make phone calls for you. So remotely if, from your lost phone. Yeah. Remotely from your lost phone. So you can make it make phone calls. It can pop up messages on the screen to alert thief or or whatever. It it can actually kind of one of the remarkable things that it can do that didn't actually work on this version of Android, it, it can actually pop up a text message and, and give you a vibrate 
Um, so the guy that picks up the phone and then sees the message, and then it will take a photo when he activates the message. Oh, so, beautiful, beautiful. It's, a, it's actually kind of a, a, a very, very, very good app. Um, it's been well thought out, obviously. Whoever created that has thought about this very, very thoroughly. Yeah, I mean, we're on version 2.5 or something at the moment. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, it's it's obviously gone through kind of a lot of development, and and the best part about it was that even though there is a premium one, the, he doesn't actually consider it to be good enough to start charging for it. Yet. Yeah, so all, this is all free so far. This, this is all free so far. Yeah. Wow. This is the scariest application I've ever heard of. <laughs> it, it is. I, you, I know what you're thinking, Ben. I mean, in the wrong hands, this could be, you know, used in a very very nasty way. I mean, because I'm, I'm a sysadmin, and this is just everything you're saying is scaring the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, f- from me, I mean, the most important thing to me, kind of, um, the, the biggest lesson that I've learned from this is that physical security is everything. And, and mm-hmm. kind of knowing what your phone can do and, and knowing the limitations and, and knowing about security is, is everything. And I, th- I think it's okay to say that, you know, okay, some people don't know about these things. The problem is, is that you've got to take you've got to take the time to learn. If you bought a car and the, you didn't know how the alarm worked, and and you just left it without the alarm and it got stolen, then you know the, the idea is that you should have learned how the alarm yeah. works. Yeah, you've got to learn these things as as kind of technology goes along. And for me, yeah, okay, some people aren't that good with technology, but there needs there needs to be a certain the certain level of literacy before you know you should be using this stuff. <laughs> People so, aren't interested, though, are they? No one pay, No one takes any time. I mean, there's people that will, and those people always will, and obviously the three of us are those sorts of people. But I think the majority of people just don't care. They just they're just not interested in it. It's not they're not on the it's not on their zone, if you like, is it, right? It, it's, yeah, it's just yeah, not on their <laughs> register. It's not something that they want to know about or mm. or will go and learn about. I mean, that, that's, uh, I've come to realise that's everything, though, because, I mean, I research uh, football audiences, so I research audiences for, for sports. Uh, and one of the things that, uh, that, that that we know is that people aren't interested in, in learning about the games that they watch. What people are interested in is kind of a really exciting time. So it's it's not just technology. I mean, people people kind of you know, do, do this with everything. So um, it's, it's general human flaw that people can exploit. <laughs> So, Chris, you know, up until the time that the police got in touch with this alleged thief, do you think he noticed? Do you think he suspected anything, or, or not at all until uh, until the police got in touch with him? I'm, I'm not sure because obviously I couldn't see what what the phone what the phone was doing. I see. I I installed it on my um, Xperia S, but my Xperia S um, has a custom ROM on it, so my Xperia S kind of runs Jelly Bean, um, and the behaviour of Android Lost on Jelly Bean is is a lot different, and it kind of un, under the hood, Jelly Bean kind of behaves so much differently to Gingerbread that uh, you really wouldn't believe it. So Plan B doesn't work on Jelly Bean um, or Ice Cream Sandwich, but Plan B will actually work on Gingerbread only. Right. So um, I, can't, I can't tell, but from the experiments that I've done with my Xperia S and kind of using the web interface to, to send messages to the Xperia S, it seems to work flawlessly. I wasn't informed when I push installed Android Lost to the Xperia S. I did activate it manually, but then I also used the options in Android Lost to actually hide the installation too, because it can do that too. So, you know, you don't see the Android Lost sticker or what 
or whatever, so you don't identify, so you don't alert the thief to the right. fact that yeah. I lost his owner. So from what I've seen, kind of, you know, with, with the only one that I've managed, with the only other phone that I've got, yeah, it appears to do everything silently and it appears to be able to take these photos without, without giving an indicator. So there was no behaviour from, from this guy that made you think that he's he's at one point been spotted. Like he didn't, there was no attempt to, I don't know, erase or, or factory reset the phone as far as you can tell. No, I mean, I, I don't think that he... Um, I don't think that he's a very inquisitive type of person naturally. So <laughs> that's a nice diplomatic way of saying something else, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he's um, he he's not realised that kind of that he has to be signed into Google Play in order to download these apps. So he's just been downloading these things on my account anyway. Right. And he's been doing right. that for a while. So he, well, all that he's done basically is is change the actual contents of the SD card. So he's gone through and he's deleted all my music, which didn't annoy me because I've got other copies of it, but he's deleted my photos and he's deleted my videos as well. Uh, um, yeah, and those those things kind of did really annoy me because you know I'm I'm not going to get those things back. So yeah, um, but that, as far as he's concerned, that's all that he needed to do to claim ownership of the phone, and and except for the other thing that is obvious, kind of to to anyone who kind of you know commits a crime, is that they've they've got to lay low for a while. So the fact that he didn't turn it on for a a good few months is also kind of one of the things he did to try and protect himself. But ah, right. Waiting for things to die down, for people to forget yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's an interesting, that that's interesting. So if, okay, say I'm walking along and I drop my phone and I lose it and somebody picks it up, what obligation, not talking about your case, but in this one, what obligation does that person have to to return the phone? It's your property, um, and kind of to obtain property with to obtain property like that, and just to try and claim the phone as your own is actually theft. You you have to make a reasonable effort in to to give the phone back. So you have to if you find something like that, then what you've got to do is you've got to take it to a police station or you've got to take it to the relevant authority. So if you're on a university campus and you find a phone, then you've got to take it to the security office so so that they can deal with it. And um, if you don't. And then if what you do is you turn the phone off, remove the SIM card, and then delete all this person's photos and videos, that is signaling an intent to keep the phone as your own. If you just got a phone and you've had it for a few days, and then the person who has taken it, the person who has taken it suddenly finds you using Android Lost, then you have a reasonable defense that you were trying to find the owner of the phone. I mean, but the thing is, I've found phones before. Um, I've found a couple of phones. And, and the first thing that I do is to pick up the phone and dial the first number that's in the phone book and try and get it back to the person. Um, the fact that, you know, you do other things instead of doing the things that would naturally come to an honest person, then, you know, that signifies that you are attempting to deceive and take property that isn't yours. I, I found a phone once. It was actually left in our letterbox. It was, it's, it's possible that it was <laughs> on the footpath and someone thought it was it belonged to you know to us and put it in our letterbox obviously it wasn't ours it wasn't mine so i went through and i had a look at the uh the context and and i i thought about dialing them and i thought yeah but what if this is a dodgy phone you know what if it's a, a drug phone or something like that and so i thought the safest thing to do is to put it in a plastic bag and take it to the police station i did and one of the questions they asked me and this is this is by the way one of the most beat up phones you know the faceplate had gone and it was just you needed sort of like a skewer or, or something sharp to actually hit the numbers uh it was just 
really in bad condition, but it still worked. The battery was charged. And there were text message, recent text messages. So I took it to the police station. And one of the questions on, on the sheet that I had to fill out was, if it is not claimed, would you like to become the owner of the phone? And I thought, look, I thought, no way, no way. <laughs> this is horrible. It's it's disgusting. You can burn it. <laughs> so that was the end of that. But yeah, I, I think, uh, Ben, you know, Chris is right. You, you have an obligation to, to, to show some intent to – you know, to do so, if you find a sum of money, for example, you have to. You're supposed to take it to the police station. What's the cutoff, though? You yeah, see that? I mean, twenty cents. Do you take that to police station? Obviously, two dollars. Yeah, two, yeah. yeah I, that, Even ten, twenty. Yeah, and you know, yeah, I don't know. I, of course, I don't know the answer to that. But and is this across the board? Like, if if you found, you know, like a small bag and it was completely empty, is the obligation you take that as well? It's the, yeah, I know, I know. But but to be fair, I think. Uh, I mean, that's hard to answer. But I think, to be fair, a, a phone, of, a mobile phone of any sort, is probably arguably over that limit. Yeah, phones are considered different, aren't they? Yeah. And also, is this? Yeah. If you if you find a phone and you don't go through, you know, you don't follow reasonable um, processes to return it, is that stealing or does it have a different name? Uh, it, he's been charged with theft, and kind of the police were quite happy to charge him with theft. So I, I, I would assume. That it's theft, and and when I said it to my partner, she she was kind of like, you know, this is this is actual theft. She did mention, kind of, she did mention kind of the name of a law that I don't, I don't like. It's kind of a casual name of a law, but she did mention finders keepers law. You but, do uh, wonder about that. But there's limits to kind of how appropriate that is. I think the word that they use in law a lot, especially in New Zealand, is is reasonable. Yeah. Um, so, so what what you're doing has to be seen as as reasonable to a normal person. Um, in law, it's called uh, the Wensbury test, and so it has to be reasonable to a person who would think reasonably, <laughs> which right. is which is kind of a it's kind it's kind of a circular test. But yeah, um, it, yeah it is, it, isn't it? Arguably, yeah. because yeah, they assume that judges are reasonable people, and so what would the judge do? That's yeah, and, and also, isn't it also in in cases that go before a, a jury? I mean, the, the the whole point of getting a number of people rather than one person, uh, you know, when you have twelve people in a jury, is that on average you'd expect them to be reasonable. Because yeah, I'd actually, yeah. I'd, I'd say a judge probably isn't reasonable. A judge would be, you know, they're supposed to be the elite. They're supposed to be above, like, sort of standard. No, but so it would be fair to say that they're not actually what you would consider reasonable. <laughs> their, their level of reasonable is probably higher than generally accepted. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, when you when you go to court in New Zealand, you're very much at the mercy of of judges. Um, if yeah. if you if you don't have a jury, then you're very much at the mercy of judges. And and the problem is is that we have a a victim centred justice system. So the the same crimes kind of the penalties vary wildly. So yeah, that's a that's a great example of it. It's it's kind of maybe the judge is not reasonable, and kind of decisions that they take may not be reasonable. And that's that's kind of why we have an appeal system. But in other countries that they have um, sentences guidelines so you know the, the judge, that takes the personal factor of the judge out of it but over here kind of the, the same crimes and the same circumstances the sentences can, can vary wildly so you don't know what's going to happen mm. yeah. now before we wrap this story up I understand at one point as well you, you approached the, the university itself right so what was what was the response there um, and when, the, when, did they, you do, when did you do that I did that on the, the day that the police told me that they'd arrested him. So so the day that the police told me that they they'd kind of, you know, taken him to custody and turned told told them what happened told me what happened. Um I emailed the associate director of campus operations whose name is Rainsford Dix and I told her what had happened and I basically gave her a brief overview. Um and uh, I, I said that uh 
Well, I understand the kind of privacy laws keep prevent me from knowing certain things about what, what's going to happen, but I, I trust that you're going to do the best for kind of the students and, and my colleagues. And I got the response that kind of they took this, this very seriously and kind of, you know, that, that it, the matter was in hand and not to worry and the rest of it. Kind of two weeks later, 15 days later, um, I got an email back from her and, and she basically said that the outcome for uh, Aran and Kenny would be that um, he had to provide me with a written apology and pay for a new SIM card and that they would also offer um, a negotiated restorative justice session so that I could tell him how his theft made me feel. And that was, <laughs> yeah, um, and that, that was kind of concerning. So I, I basically told her that this wasn't acceptable, that I did not find that this is an acceptable solution, that restorative justice was not a matter for the university. I would have expected that he would have been suspended. And then when he pleads or is found guilty, then his employment will be terminated because he is in a position of responsibility. Right. If he does, would you accept that while well, he's suspended, he's on suspended on full pay, if, if that was... You wouldn't expect him to be suspended without pay, or, or would you? What, what, are your, what would you want out of this? Bearing in mind that this man has not been found guilty at that point, of course, and is still not found guilty of anything. No. So The yeah. difference is, I mean, he hasn't been found guilty, but he's admitted taking the phone to the university, and kind of the restorative justice re- reflects that. The problem that he has not been found guilty is kind of, well, you can say that he's not been found guilty, but he's, he's still been charged with it and he's still appearing in court with it. So the, the first thing that should really happen, I mean, in my opinion, and this has happened in uh, every other case that I've heard of, is that the employee should be suspended. Whether or not that should be without pay is nothing to do with me. Right. So right. I mean, as long as the risk is removed from the university right. environment so, so, pending so, the outcome of the court case, then, yeah. So it's about removing the risk. That's what, that's what it is, isn't it? Basically, yeah. I, I've, I've dealt with risk a lot in, in kind of the course of work before now, and I deal with risk in, in terms of football spectatorship as well. Uh, and kind of the important thing is, is you know, to, to effectively manage risks, especially when it comes to security and property. Especially and in, in the my, UK. In UK especially football. in the UK, yeah. Especially in UK <laughs> it's football. It's madness and, there. <laughs> yeah, and I've come from Liverpool, and I, I, I'll, I'll say it now, you know, Scousers, are known as thieves, and <laughs> oh. I, I have—I mean, I have been burgled twice. I've had cars broken into. Right. You know, I have been the victim of crime before. The problem with this circumstance was that it seemed like it was a response that was not at all proportionate to what he'd done. So, it seemed like that as long as I said to them, okay, well, we'll do this restorative justice, then he, he would be able to get away with it. Could say get away with it, but kind of you know. That would be the end of the matter. But I disagreed because I, I, I didn't really want to do the restorative justice. Um, having the phone taken from me was kind of a, a, a big deal. And then to find out that he lied to me about it, and to find out that he told me that he hadn't seen it was fairly annoying, to say the least. And then to find out that he was being treated leniently by the university was kind of doubly annoying. So, so, so you, said, you weren't happy with that, obviously, at all? No, no not at all. The problem was was that no one really seemed to be interested and no one really seemed to be bothered about this duty of care that the university has to its staff and students. Okay, th- there is a school of thought that says that, fine, he's been, he's been caught now and he won't do it again. He's very sorry. But there's another school of thought that says, well, actually, what's happened is he's been caught and, and now what you've done is you're giving him the same access to all the other buildings and you've actually given him the tools to be a better thief. So you've actually given him the tools to know 
kind of he has to do extra things to the phone to be able to get away with it more effectively. And he has to actually learn about the phone in order to, you know, make sure that he doesn't get caught again. Just to play devil's advocate, if the phone was in the toilet, there's no level of access that's going to be removed from him that would stop him from being able to take that phone in that same situation again, though, is there? No. In that particular situation? No. The, the thing was he, was, he was sent around that morning with keys to unlock the building. Um, oh, this, and, uh, I got, trust me, I got, I got no qualms of where I think <laughs> things line up. And the fact of the, the position, like I can imagine that like a student going, like if he was replaced by a student, I think it's a slightly different situation. I think it's still yeah. everything you said around theft and, you know, making reasonable efforts still applies, but it's a little bit different. The fact that this is his job, certainly it changes like, you know, before talking to you, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I can see all sorts of different sides of the story, but no, <laughs> this is a very particular side of the story. Um, yeah, and, and but, kind of yeah. the position it was in, it's it, it, to, to me, it's a compounding factor. But we'll have to wait and see, kind of, you know, what what he pleads and you know whether or not the court thinks the same way. Mm. Well, I do wonder if maybe that is maybe the university can't do too much until because I mean they have to follow HR processes. Yeah, that's the other thing. Um, and th- you know, there's a lot. You know, they could be opening themselves up to a personal grievance if if they go beyond what they're actually legally allowed to do too early. Um, I mean, this, it's a very tough situation. This is the advantage of uh, having a lawyer for a fiance because um, she she knows these things. And so so when kind of um, you get words thrown at you like employment law and kind of natural justice and, and words like this, then you've got a lawyer on hand who can tell you that no, these things are entirely wrong. Um, there's nothing in employment law, according to my partner, that prevents them from suspending an employee who's been convicted of crimes against legislation. Well, um, yeah, there's been and, no conviction yet, though. No, no, there isn't. In fact, we're being charged with them. Sorry, wrong word. Or being charged with crimes. Oh, okay. So, so you can once they've been charged, even. Yeah, once they've been charged, and in fact, it's it's in his employment contract. So it's in the employment contract of Vic that kind of a breach of legislation, or even an alleged breach of legislation, is enough to trigger gross right. misconduct. Uh, on the flip side, of course, there's nothing that says the employer must do that either, right? So, so just again, playing devil's advocate, you could argue that the employer is quite within their rights to do nothing uh, until such time that. Uh, at least until a case is heard or a plea has been entered. Plus, at what yeah. point are you considered charged? Are you charged when you make when you get a summons in front of the court, or when you make a plea, or um, you, at what you're, char- point? you're charged when you're charged when the police tell you that you've been arrested on charges of theft? Yeah, has he been arrested? He has been arrested. Yeah, he's been arrested and summoned the court, and he's currently on bail. Okay. Yeah. Just to wrap this up, then your advice to people who have lost. An Android phone. What would you do first if, if say, I've got an Android phone? I have no idea where it is today. What do I do next? The first thing that you need to do is kind of you, you need to bring your network operator and get that phone blocked. They can always unblock it, but you need to make sure that the phone can't be used. This is a very exceptional circumstance. I think uh, you rarely hear of, kind of things like this that happen. Android Lost actually has testimonials. So if you go to the website, they have testimonials that tell you people in similar circumstances. But Mm -hmm. you get that phone block kind of straight away. There's no guarantee that any of this is going to work. Um, And the longer that you leave it, kind of, you know, the the more chance it has of getting away. If you do want to do it, then I suppose just go and install Android Lost. Just do what I did um, and see what information you can get out of it. But um, be prepared that, you know, I wasn't expecting to get the phone back. And, right. You know. so, so you were lucky, really, 
Yeah, uh, well, so. sorry, I, I, I'm probably belittling your, uh, your your sleuthing skills because really you, you're more <laughs> than just lucky. Well, you're lucky that the phone was was on. You're lucky that the content was being edited. Uh, but obviously, what wasn't luck was was the fact that you know you used your your nouse, as we say, to to work out what can I do, what information can I get, how am I going to, you know, you. you it's almost like you've done this before, really, but obviously this was the first time, right? You you were kind of teaching yourself as you went. Yeah, but this particular circumstance, I followed similar paths before, looking for the money, but this particular one, I, I, I just knew there was a way to do it. So I, I knew that there were circumstances that would allow me to do this, and I wanted to find out if it was possible to get more information. Um, and as soon as you set down that road, then, you know, it, it's going to be, it, you get a host of options presented to you, and it, it's just a case of finding the one that works for you, just... As, as with anything, really. Well, you know what? If I ever lose my Android phone, I'm gonna, I'm gonna phone you. <laughs> I'll, say, ever, I'll say, Chris, I, please get it back for me. <laughs> if I ever become a private investigator, I'm just gonna be planting phones left, right, and center, hoping that the people <laughs> pick them up. And because I mean, you think about, it, you find the cheapest phone available, you load it up with uh, with Android Lost, you find the person you're following, you plant it in front of them, they're going to pick it up. Either they're going to take it, in which case you get to get all the information, or they're going to give it back to the cops, you can go get it back. The police yeah, would love you. <laughs> Too many honest people who have like six phones every week at the police station. <laughs> Excellent. Well, look, I'll tell you what, um, this has been a fascinating story, and, and certainly from the, you know, the, the the tech angle on this is just absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, congratulations, Chris, on your your super sleuthing skills. Thank you, mate. And it's it's online. The, the entire thing's online. I felt that, you know, because because the university shut me down, and because it was such a good story, and because I'm sick of telling it to people, um, I actually kind of put it on um, on Blogspot as well. So. Right. Well, put, well, look, I'm sorry we made you repeat the story one more time. But it's all right. <laughs> but um, if you've got the link there, we'll put it up in the show notes, um, and you can check that out at boysatech.com. So, Chris, look, thank you very much for, for taking us through that. That is absolutely fascinating. No worries, mate. Glad to do it. <laughs> All right, so moving on to some of our other stories. Uh, the I don't know if you saw this one uh, in the news just recently, the, this bracelet that apparently glows, it sort of syncs up with your phone and glows, you know, with like LEDs for various notifications, like, for example, when you get a text or when you get a call, or and you can even have different colours for when different people <laughs> glow. So it means you don't have to be checking that phone screen all the time. What do you think? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of comments that are kind of like poo-pooing this thing. What do you guys think, Ben, Chris? It's, a, it's just like a, it's a gadget, though, isn't it? It's it'll come out, it'll be yeah, this is really cool. People will buy it, and then it will get you know, the battery will run flat, and they'll chuck it in their drawer. <laughs> I think I think it's the kind of thing that Kickstarter wasn't invented for. I think kind of it's it's yeah, it's it's just another gimmick. We phones vibrate, so. <laughs> These days you can set your phone to vibrate kind of however many times you want it to for a particular person, so I'm not sure. I wouldn't want it on the hand. No, yeah, it's a, it's a cool idea. I just don't think a bracelet's the right way to do it. Maybe like a shoelace or something. Hmm. But you'd never see that. I mean, how many times do you... <laughs> well, you don't look at your feet. I don't. Some oh, of I us don't. can't even see their feet. <laughs> <laughs> it's not you, Ed. <laughs> no, no, that's right. <laughs> or are you talking about me? No, 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 you know. no, I wasn't me. No, no, I was just Because with mirrors it. and pulleys, you can do anything. <laughs> no, look, the, when I compose myself. No, look, I, I thought this was kind of cool because 
I, I don't know. I mean, look, look, I'll be honest here, and I've said this before on the show, I, I don't have a smartphone. I've, I'm one of these people that I, I'm really, for, for a tech guy, I don't, I don't care about smartphones that much. But what I don't like is, and this applies for any phone for that matter, I don't like the fact that I'm, I'm often checking the screen and having to unlock it or, or you know, hit a button to light up the, the display to see have I received, have I missed any calls, have I got any messages? And if I've got this bracelet and it sort of glows, it's like, oh, okay, I've got a message, I'll, I'll get to that when I, when I choose to. I thought it was kind of cool. I think my problem is it, it's huge. It, it looks massive and it's kind of having this kind of blue glowing thing on my hand you know it, it just doesn't it it's just an inconvenience of looking at the screen yeah you know, it's, it, not, it's, it's not it's not discreet is it? it it's not no. discreet no no that, i'll give no. you that maybe uh, a tiny earpiece that that kind of you know gives you a certain signal you know beams it straight to your straight to your brain maybe <laughs> yeah i was just thinking you could have a little tiny bit just attached to your glasses and it just sits in the corner of your glasses and does the same thing but not enough that you really notice well now you're talking google uh glass no 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 i'm not <laughs> i'm really really not <laughs> look so obviously no bracelets for for you guys right no no all right easy cool now facebook has apparently invested in some microsoft ad technology surprise surprise the two seem to be getting closer and closer working together to fight the the google it seems uh facebook you know the thing is do you think facebook's making the right decision they're going with microsoft or should they should they not be going with google instead of fighting them shouldn't they be friends with google i always found that kind of odd you have to pick and choose, though, don't you? Like Google's the big, you know, ad sort of company, so you choose the other one to go against them. Maybe if they were, you know, trying to come up with a desktop, they'd be talking to Google instead of Microsoft. I think there's a lot of politics there as well, isn't there? It's kind of this. I mean, there's a big tension between kind of the big, the big competitors that they don't think is going to be resolved. So it makes it makes sense for Facebook to to put the lot in with Microsoft rather than Google. Because the first uh, sign of that, or the first big sign of that, was of course when uh, when Facebook signed up with with the Microsoft Search technology. I think didn't they? They partnered for Search as well, I believe. Bing. Oh, I, don't, I didn't know that. I, I'm not. Oh, I think, I'm not I think, actually on Facebook. So. Yeah, look, I'm not on Facebook either. And this is the, these are the two my two uh, uh, what do you call it uh, failings, if you like, as a as a tech guy. And no smartphone, no Facebook. No, that's the Facebook's not a failing. No, it's not definitely. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Like, Thank I mean, you. I've you're got you're it, saying but the right thing. <laughs> right, right. I am on Twitter, however. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, just, I'll go through some of the other stories very quickly as well, because well, with the with the advertising one, like if you read that story, they say Microsoft bought it for six point three billion dollars, wrote off six point two billion dollars of the deal. So potentially, this is and quite bit- cheap. Like if they're getting it for say a hundred million, like if that was the difference. Maybe that's why they chose it. That could, that could, well, that could well be. I, I, like I was kind of just expecting that they would go with with Google as their yeah. Technology. But say say Google's saying it's going to cost you, you know, five billion dollars. Microsoft go, hey, we bought this. We don't really know how to use it. We've already written off ninety nine percent of the value. We'll basically give it to you. And Facebook, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the developers at Facebook worked for the original company that wrote it. So they're sitting there going, well, hey, we wrote the software. It is good. You can imagine all sorts of reasons to go with it. And let's not forget yeah. that Microsoft have shares in Facebook. They have a, what is it, th- two, three percent stake? Yeah, I'm sure it's more than that as well, spread around various people within the company. 
But Microsoft can't be far behind Google in terms of ad share either. I mean, so it's it's a potential it's a potential synergy that gets them yeah actually them to the top. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, the figures I can see here are that Google have for display ads. Google have fifteen and a half percent of the share, and Facebook close behind at fourteen and a half percent. So, so you're right. Actually, I mean, face Facebook perhaps are big, big enough, strong enough to to go it alone against Google. They don't need Google. But that, I mean, that could be. See, this is really interesting. Facebook might have fourteen percent of the market share of displaying ads, but they might have a conversion rate of zero point zero 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 one percent, and maybe Google's got a conversion rate of zero point zero one percent. So all of a sudden, it's like even though they're basically presenting the same number of ads, their effectiveness is through the floor, which is kind of what caused this whole thing in the first place, is Facebook wanting to know, are their ads effective? Yeah, and I think there's an answer to that, isn't it? I think they concluded, well, people, analysts have concluded that Facebook ads really weren't performing, right? Remember, uh, who who was it that pulled out? One of the manufacturers? Was it Ford? Ford? Uh, GM. GM GM pulled out. And it makes sense as well. You think about it. Like, Who's more likely to buy someone? Something. Somebody who is online checking what their friends are doing or someone who's searching for something. The person who's searching for something is a lot more likely to spend money than the person that's sitting there going, oh, I just got a sheep in my farm or whatever they play. (laughs) (laughs) I think GM's problem was as well that they didn't pick the market right either. I mean, they they just assumed that everyone would be be on Facebook, but they kind of send a good return because people on Facebook, I mean, it just doesn't seem like the new car market, you know? Yeah, I well, that, I, yeah, I, is, admit, I I'm, I'm, I agree totally with you. It seems odd to, to be advertising there. I think Facebook's largest like growing market sort of share right now is the older is the older people because there was talk about that driving away the younger people from Facebook, wasn't there? Oh, that's right. Yeah, and I, but and the reason, of course, for the, the the biggest growth being in the older market would be because perhaps there's saturation at the younger end, at the lower end. Yeah, oh, and I'm the, guessing the cool factor as well. Like if your parents on it, it can't be cool. Yeah, I mean that was the other thing, wasn't it? Uh, you know, there's you know a lot of young people are now choosing not to sign up because they know their parents or or someone a little too close for comfort is on there. Yeah, uh, I don't know where they go or whether they, they just don't do social networking now. Well, we're too old to know. Yeah, we have to ask some of the younger people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe some of our younger listeners can tell us and leave some comments there at uh, boysatech.com. I want to also talk about uh, Apple now. has. I, I think this is a good move. Others should follow, I think, as well. Apple has blocked older versions of Adobe's Flash Player in Safari. Uh, remember, of course, that some of the, the, you know, the older versions had some major security flaws. The new one's been patched and so far appears secure, and obviously until someone finds the next security hole. But until then, Apple has blocked the older versions in Safari. Good move or seeking publicity? Oh, I think with the way that the way that everything moves these days, it's a good move. Like, you know, 10 years ago, you installed a version and you wanted to stick with it until you decided it was time to move on. These days, you install a browser and it updates every other day. So it's trying to keep you up to date. Everything's moving quickly. They should, yeah, stick with this as well. Unfortunately, there's so many people who don't update when they when they should. And this will, this will be a way of keeping them safe. They don't have to update. But they just won't be able to use Flash. Flash won't work in Safari unless they do. And I think that that's perfectly logical. I am one of those people who will leave it for months and months and months just waiting for an update, though. So I think it's probably good that it forces people like me to upgrade. I don't like Adobe. They try and take over my computer all the time. So, I mean, you know, Windows and with Acrobat and the rest of it. So uh, what Adobe wants me to do is last on my list. 
You know, the, the, the Adobe updates to me seem, always, I don't know why, but I always think, is this some malware trying to do something? Because the, the interface is like an odd, it's just, it looks different to everything else. And I'm thinking, what's this dodgy malware wanting to update? Oh, no, it really is Adobe. They do dump some stuff in their software that's um, that you don't necessarily want and you have to be careful when oh, you're... Oh, yes, the old bloatware, yeah. 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 All right, so i tell you what, uh, we've got one more story to cover. It is a New Zealand story. It's about the new Trans-Tasman cable, well, a new Trans-Tasman cable being proposed. We'll talk about that right after this. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. Now, Telecom, Vodafone, and who's the other one? Telstra have all got together, all these rivals that you know love to love to hate each other, have got together and they've announced a deal to build a new undersea telco cable between Auckland and Sydney. And this, of course, will uh, dramatically increase our internet capacity to the rest of the world. Isn't that great news for New Zealand? Uh, yeah. I mean, Pacific yeah. Fibre would have been better news, but this is good yeah. news. Now, Pacific I think it's better Fi- than nothing. Yeah, it's better than nothing, you know, which is what we've currently got. Well, we've got the Southern Cross cable. Yeah, we've got a well, monopoly. That's, yeah, that's that's the big problem, isn't it? It's it's the uh, it's the wholesale market that's dominated by that. So. Look, if if anyone can do it, it'd be Telecom, Vodafone, and Telstra. Pacific Fibre failed to to get capital, didn't they, to raise capital yeah. for that? Well, why did you, Ben? Why did you say that would have been better? Because that would have been a direct connection from New Zealand to LA, which means you know, all of the content's basically coming from LA. Well, actually, ben, I don't know. I don't know. I think you might need to to to, to rephrase that thing because there's more and more. In fact, I think the the biggest growth now is in Asia. There's so much more content coming out from Asia. Well, it was also take, it was also a pretty quick connection to Asia as well. It would have been our shortest shortest round trip through anything in the states. It would have reduced the round trip through Europe. It would have reduced. It would have been the fastest connection we could get, basically, because of the the path that it would have taken. And it also would have connected all the Pacific Islands in as well at like you know ultra fast as opposed to what they have now. Don't forget, of course, a lot of companies who who Akamai their data, you know, who distribute it, uh, uh, you know, across across distribution channels like Akamai, uh, have points of presence in Australia and in the States. Now, in that case, the the Australia cable would be a lot quicker, right? Uh, yeah, well, yes, it would be because it's just so much shorter. But at least the American one wouldn't have been direct. And there is, you know, and to be able to diversify your traffic as well and be able to flow around, you know, like Australia has major network issues, then you want to be able to throw through different different routes instead of relying everything through a single connection. But that's why I thought the Australian one would be quite well. Actually, it'd be good if you could go both ways. But uh, well, I think Pacific the, the, Fiber had an Australian leg in it as well. Oh, did they? Uh, yeah, that was right, the so first. Yeah, that was okay. the first one they were going to build, and then they were going to uh, LA, and then that was the one that was sort of the really, really optimistic one. But the reason it failed is because they didn't have enough for the LA, and there wasn't a business case to build to Australia. Okay, Just because, I, 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 because yeah. Southern Cross can undercut it. I think we can conclude one thing here: internet. Is never going to be cheap in New Zealand. I think it's fairly cheap now uh, compared to what it was uh, when I first came here, which is four years ago. I mean, yeah, it has moved. You're right. It has moved in the last four years, but we're still behind. I mean, I guess we'll never, you could argue that we'll never be, you know, the same as, you know, Europe and, and in fact, Asia is, is, is very fast in the States as well. We'll never be as fast as them, will we? We just don't have the population density for a start. And, and, and we're at the, you know, the end of the world. We have to have one big, huge, fat pipe connecting us. 
Well, if the UFB gets rolled out, we're going to have pretty fast, you know, across the country. And as long as someone fills in the backhaul part of it, we'll have, you know, the whole country will be connected at fast speeds. And then there'll be more excuses to have CDNs within New Zealand itself to be the, to do the distributed hosting like you're talking about. But we still, you still need to be able to get out fast as well. Well, I'm way out on the coast um, with VDSL with a kind of, you know, 500, 500 gig of data every month. And I just, I get fantastic speeds. I've never had, I didn't have speeds like this in Britain. And apparently you don't, you still don't get speeds like this in Britain. So kind of in, in terms of that, I think we've, we've really kind of taken leaps and bounds. It's so hard to use 500 gig of worth of data every month though. Try I've, getting a hundred megabit connection. <laughs> it's not hard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess it really depends what you do. I mean, you, you can watch more video and that's certainly true through it, but but you know, really, I, I look. I, I don't tend to use a lot of data. I do a lot of things, but I don't use a lot of data. So I guess it all comes down to to your usage patterns and what you're doing. But anyway, uh, look. Either way, though, Ben, right? It's better than you know Pacific Fibre or, or or this crowd. It's it's better than the status quo. Agree? Oh, having any yes, another connection. I mean, I've been arguing for this for ages. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, the problem is that too many, like people like Telecom, have shares in the Southern Cross, so they've always yeah. argued against putting another cable in. And <laughs> one of the right. reasons yep. why this is going to work is because they're going to have shares in this as well. So, so we can't have competition unless we're our own competition. <laughs> but at least uh, they've got at least they've got Vodafone, which is huge, and uh, and, and Telstra to, you know. Yeah, to, I to mean, convince them that this is a good thing. Yeah, it's definitely better than nothing. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, even just to make New Zealand safer as far as connect- connectivity goes, it's it's a good thing. And the consortium is better than kind of you know a, a sole a sole owner as well, because at least they, you have, they have each other to balance it. Of course, what happens later on if they decide you know that one of them wants out and, and then it becomes kind of you know telecom owned basically two cables is, is going to be a bit different. Yeah, but, I hope it doesn't go that way. And, and there's always the risk, you know, that it, it, it can be a triopoly or a duopoly if, if one pulls out. Uh, but, yeah, I, I guess for now it's good, right? And we just have to hope that it, it, it you know, turns out for the for the better, for the, you know, for the betterment of the country. I wonder what Telstra's interest is in this because they've sold Telstra, Telstra Clear, obviously, to Vodafone. So yeah, they, I, they don't have any major operations on this side anymore. It, could this be the the hint that they were going to buy Telecom? That there were rumours around that they were going to make a purchase of Telecom a few months ago? Yeah, there was rumours of that. Plus, they still want to be able to distribute content to New Zealand. Like we'll mm. still be, um, we'll just be connecting through them over in the state uh, through Australia. I think this and the sky kind of sky being kind of a hundred percent New Zealand owned that moving in that direction. I think that could be that could be really interesting. So this is a really this is a really exciting sector for kind of you know people in the communications business. Um, one problem with this cable is that it will reduce the argument that we need another cable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's always going to be the case, though, isn't it? Yeah. When you get yeah, your third so, cable, it'll be like even less need for a fourth. <laughs> well, we, so we have one cable. It's it's predominantly owned by like you know, sort of telecoms got big shares in it. We're now building another cable. Telecoms going to have big shares in that. So we're very unlikely to get an independent cable built if we have you know an overcapacity as it is. So that is the one downside is we're unlikely to get you know a, a sort of an open source cable which was the potential with um, Pacific Fiber the way that they were Pacific, selling their bandwidth. But Pacific Fiber is still a company, right? It's still you know it's allegiances to its shareholders and if it's going to be a public listed company I don't know if it is or what was going to be 
but they had a really interesting model where they were selling they were like selling bandwidth to people and it was like for the life of the cable type thing so a company would go along invest in them and end up with this big chunk that they could then on sell and their upgrade models for the cable were fantastic as well like going up to 100 100 gigabit per strand I think it was like they were just it was amazing technology it was a really good business model it just yeah it just didn't work I think at the end it was kind of they're, they're, they're a bit desperate for investment and started talking about the uh, government intervention as well. So they wanted to uh, apart SOE as well but to to kind of reduce the reduce the monopoly impact. But um, I think anything any time that that gets mentioned in the context of the current government, it's it's never going to be a starter. Well, another problem was that the American government were looking at putting in connectivity charges for um, international cables landing in the country, um, and that would have just driven the prices through the roof because they were trying to maintain what they have as you know what they have right now to avoid other players coming in. So there was there was lots of political reasons as well. It makes you wonder how these things ever get built. Backroom yeah, deals. Yeah. <laughs> It is. I mean, it's the only way it can do. They go to meetings, they meet the right people, they make a deal. I mean, otherwise everything just gets blocked. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's. I mean, you, you've got to, you've got to know the people, and and that's kind of they, they will only ever build it for their own interest. So, I mean, what we get is is basically going to be what they what they want to offer us. Although we, we may have companies that come along with kind of these grandiose plans. Um, a lot of them, like Kim.coms, that they're never going to come to fruition. They're just going to be, they're just going to be pipe dreams. So, this is the best that we're going to get. It's, it's, it's good enough. Right. Well, on that note, I think we've uh, covered the stories fairly well. This is going to be one of the longest uh, podcast episodes in our two hundred and three episode history. I don't know if it's well, the longest, but that, it's one of the longest. That's something. That's something to be proud of. Yeah, it is. And, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun. Chris, did you enjoy chatting to us? Oh, yeah, it was great. And kind of, I'm sorry I took up nearly, but it must be an hour on the smartphone story, but, you know. No, no, this, it's absolutely <laughs> fascinating. And, uh, look, I want to thank you very much for uh, taking the time to, to, again, repeat the story that you've pr- probably told hundreds of times now. <laughs> Now, and hopefully we're going to save. This time it was worth it. This time it was worth it, mate. Well, I I hope it certainly saves a lot of people uh, asking you the same thing. They can just you can point them to our podcast. There you go. You can say here, go to pointsatech.com, listen to episode two hundred three. Here's the link. Find out all about it. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, look. So thank you. Yeah, thank you once again. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. And uh, Ben, thank you also for co-hosting. It's it's been a good show. Yeah. Cheers. It's good to be back. It's good to have you back. And you going camping anytime soon again before the the uh, autumn and horrible weather of winter sets in? Yeah, I'd like to, you know, try and get away for a night or two. It's so easy to do. You just jump in the car and take off. It's just a matter of, you know, making that effort. We did that with uh, with kids for the first time uh, over the summer and yeah, it certainly doesn't work like that when you got kids, that's for sure. Oh man. No, it's it's a little <laughs> bit easier for me. Yeah. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's great. Um hopefully I think the the weather's going to be good anyway, so hopefully you do get a chance to do that again. So that's it. That is episode 203. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We certainly had fun bringing the stories to you. We'll do it all again next week. But in the meantime, take care everyone. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye.
So that's it. That is episode 203. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We certainly had fun uh, bringing... Uh, sorry, we certainly had fun bringing the stories to you. In the meantime... Sorry, not in the meantime. I've got to say next week, don't I? <laughs> yeah. Um... And of course, we'll be back next week for the. Uh, sorry. And of course, we'll do it. Uh, uh, hang on, I'm stumbling. Slow down. Three. Uh, this could go in the bloopers. We haven't had many good. Blo- many good. Does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> many good. You're bloopering your bloopers. <laughs> I've gone straight at the bloopers section. This is getting really meta. You're going to have bloopers, and you're going to have the bloopers of the bloopers. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll do that bit again with some syllables uh, yeah so that was yeah, that's right so uh, yeah we'll do it all again next week but in the meantime take care everyone thank you very much for listening goodbye see you later goodbye <laughs> oh Ben yours is very see you later you did it on purpose didn't you <laughs> hey man that's excited we'll do it one more time alright thank you very much for listening goodbye 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 oh, Ben I'm going to take yours out you're doing it on purpose, aren't you? <laughs> oh, it's fun. It's been fun. Hey, thanks, guys. Bye.